It's, it was lovely to, as I was driving up this morning. I was actually with you eight weeks ago, and uh, to see the change in the land. It's a whole lot greener this morning, and uh, inch of rain I hear yesterday, and so a bit of rejoicing going on of the of the goodness of God into there. The land looks a bit healthier, uh, so that's good. Uh, so this is my family. Uh, well, this is a few years ago. Um, that's me there in the middle, and you can figure out who my wife is, and then uh, my daughter is next to me. Uh, she's now thirteen. And my son is 15, and I haven't got a newer photo than the last two years because my son really hates photos. Anybody else hate photos? Yeah? Okay, well, so I don't know how many years I'm going to have to keep using this photo for until he lets me take another family photo, but we'll see how we go. So uh, I understand from Bob that you're uh, in, the book of, in the book of Corinthians, and so if you have your Bible with you, if you would like to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 7, 25 to 40, or, so uh, paper Bibles, virtual Bibles, um, um, U-Version, I can say YouTube, U-Version Bibles, uh, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 7. Now that's pretty small, isn't it? So you might need your your uh, your, word, your word in front of you to have a look at that. You know, let me get on the right page so I can start this. My gosh, this font in this Bible is very small. Now about this is it says it's headed concerning the unmarried. We'll get some context to that in a moment of time. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. No amens, please. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. From now on, those who, who have wives should live as, as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they do, did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use things from this world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion in the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin, he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sitting. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, has control over his own will, has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So, So then... Who you marry the virgin does right, and he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must be belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as, he is, as she is, and I think I too have the Spirit of God. I don't know what, uh, Max, I don't know what uh, Ford came out in 1980. Can you rectify that for me? He can't rectify that for me. But uh, I read this passage first. Uh, there's, there's, there's talk. What Ford came out? XD? XD or E? E. D. Right, let's get it right. Yeah. Richmond won the premiership. Okay, I know that much. I was there at that one. Yeah, yeah. I was at that grand final. There we go. Anyway, a couple of months after Richmond won the grand final, 
November. It was around about November, 1980. I was 18 years old. And uh, there was a young lady by the name of Carolyn who was about 17 years old. Now, she decided, unbeknownst and for, in, a, in a way that is mysterious and hard to understand, she decided that she liked me. And more than that, she wanted to have a relationship with me. Now, that seemed like a pretty good idea to me. The fact that someone would actually like me would, you know, that seemed like a pretty decent form of, uh, you know, basis for a relationship. Because ever since Jane Austen wrote Pride and Prejudice in 1813, and I'm not sure what Ford came out that year. <laughs> ever since Jane Austen wrote Pride and Prejudice, she talked, talked about Mr. Darcy as a fine, tall, handsome, of noble mien that quickly was translated to tall, dark and handsome. And, you know, short and ordinary. So when you're short and plain, the fact that Carolyn was interested sounded good to me. Sounded like a good basis of a relationship. Now, I'd actually given my life to the Lord about three years earlier when I was 15. And so I did what any good Christian young man should do when thinking about a relationship. I prayed. I asked God, I said, God, what do you think about this idea of me dating Carolyn? And I was reading my Bible and it so happened that that, on that particular week I was reading my Bible, I was reading here from 1 Corinthians 7. And as I, you know, when you ask God a direct question, God, can I date this girl and you read this? No, no, you'd be better off staying as you are. It seemed to me that the answer was a pretty clear no. So, what was I to do? Am I to trust God and say no? Or do I ignore God and push ahead with the relationship? Who thinks I trusted God and said no? Thank you, young lady. Thank you. Who thinks... I ignored God and went ahead with the relationship. You bunch of people, you think, what do you think I am? My gosh, you have such a low estimation of me. Maybe I'll just go home. (laughs) Well, what did I do? I'll tell you a little bit later on. Now, Bob asked me to come and preach and present to the members' meeting. I'm going to talk a little bit about it at the members' meeting later on. And obviously, it worked him well because he's on leave and he needed a preacher. And so he says, Mark, can you come on the... uh, the, uh, 30th of June, and uh, worked at her and had a little think about it and had a little look at it. And yes, it worked. I could come uh, today. In fact, it worked very well uh, for me to come today. And so I said to him, so, because, you know, I come eight weeks ago and preached it as a part of a series and said, well, so what are you preaching on? What's this series that you're doing? And he said, oh, I'm doing, we're in 1 Corinthians. We're doing a series of 1 Corinthians. We've done about 18 of them already. And so I said, well, would you want me to go into that? And he says, oh, that'd be awesome if you could. I said, what are you up to? And he said, 1 Corinthians 7. I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that one. <laughs> no, I said, that would be fine. I'm not sure he saw the ironic smile as I spoke to him on the phone at all. So when you get a passage like this, which is, let's be honest, a bit of a tricky passage. It's not an easy passage to work your way through. I sort of feel like, for at least for my context, I need to sort of give you a little bit more of a bigger picture idea. So how do we go about interpreting the scripture? All right, there we go. How do we go about interpreting the scripture? Can you read that all right at the back there? Dick, can you read that okay? Or is it really would have been better if it was bigger font? It's okay? 
Because if I, I'm probably come back again sometime if you'll have me back. If, I, mean, I don't know. You all think I'm hardly walk with the Lord when I was 18, so you might not ever want me back. But <laughs> interpreting Scripture, okay. Now, we all, I want to give you a couple of tools about interpreting Scripture. When you have a passage, it's hard to understand. First of all, you interpret Scripture in the light of Scripture. Okay, you don't take a passage in isolation. You, you, you sort of work out what does the, what does the scripture say about this? And in one sense, what we then all do, we have sort of this sort of filter that we, that we put ourselves through. And that is what I'm going to call the, the understand, your understanding of the big picture of the, what the Bible is about. Okay? Now, the Bible describes itself as the inspired word of God, authoritative and so on, but we all approach the Bible through our own experience. If you like, through our own set of glasses. You all got suddenly blurry. I'll put them back on. Look at that. You're clear again. And we all, we all approach the Bible in a, in a way that is reflective of the teachings that we've had and the environment that we've had in the, in the, in the background that we've had, the experiences that we've had. And so we'd all like to think that we all read the Bible purely as it actually is. But who wants to stand up and say, I understand the Bible perfectly? Have we got anybody who wants to say, I understand the Bible perfectly? Oh, someone up there. <laughs> There's a guy at the back who just patted his, uh, his, um, his child's head and I thought he was putting his hand up to say, yes, I understand the Bible perfectly. Because we're always trying to learn, aren't we? It's a posture of learning and growing. We want to learn and grow. And as we, as we uh, you know, think of different things, I, was, I couldn't help but think about that as we're singing the songs today and, and to uh, the different songs that, that come and different people's experiences and, and things along those lines. You know, the, the whole idea of I have decided to follow Jesus, you know, that little bridgey thing in that song, which I'm sure most of you know the song, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Who, who knows where that song originates in the world? Does anybody know? It originates from northeast India during the revivals that happened up there. And there was an amazing revival that happened. It's one of the very few songs, practically the only song that I know of, that made its way from India around the world. I've decided to follow Jesus. And, and, there, and they had this great revival. If we lived through a revival, I reckon that would change the way we think about Scripture. You live through an experience. You, it, 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 uh, it changes the way you think about it. So your understanding of the big picture, and we're always tweaking and it's right to always be tweaking our understanding of that. Not in a major way, because like the Bible is, you know, creation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we'll be continuing to learn into, into, into that. So then when we get to interpreting a passage of scripture, again, tricky thing, because what I did when I when I'm reading this as 18 years old, what I did was I read that, I had a look at that, and I, I asked God a question, and it seemed like I was getting a direct answer. And sometimes that happens like that. But uh, as I've learned along the way, what is a better way to do this is, if, is try to find out as much as you can. What did it mean to the original readers? What did this mean to the Corinthians when they were first read that? Now, that's a pretty hard thing for us to know, so we're going to do some work and finding out and, and people who study these things. What's the principle that Paul is trying to convey to those people and then how do we apply that principle to our life? That, that's a little bit harder work than just sort of reading the Bible and just saying, oh, what does it mean to me? But to but as we, we do that, and particularly in a book like this and a passage like this, it's a good thing to do. Now, First Corinthians, you've been studying all this. I'm sure Bob's covered all this for you, but just for my own sake, just to cover this off, Acts 18 tells us that Paul planted the church in Corinth. He established the church there. And in verse 11, it says he actually stayed there 18 months, which was the second longest that Paul ever stayed in the church. Ephesus is the only one he stayed longer. So it's one he invested a lot in, and a, people, a group of people he knew very well. Into the, so he knew them very well. 
And so right at the end of 1 Corinthians, uh, of that book, 1 Corinthians 16, he says this, I was glad when Stephanus, uh, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, 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 what do you think? Anybody want to give a go at pronouncing him? Achaicus? I don't know. Ache, good guy, good fellow. I was glad when these three guys arrived because they, when, because they have supplied what was lacking from you. In other words, these three guys and came, came on behalf of the church and they brought a letter from the church. And so Paul writes back and, he's, and in the structure of the book and most of what you've had a look at so far is that in the first six chapters he's giving instructions. Okay, the things that you would have already talked about, unity in the church, etc., etc. You know, you can't have disunity. It's not about I follow Paul, I follow uh, Cephas, I follow, uh, you know, I follow Christ, I'm more spiritual than you, etc., etc. And so not about divisions and all the things that happen there. So he's giving instructions. And then from chapter 7, he starts answering questions. And there's a little clue there in the Bible. And you can see that um, at the start of chapter 7, uh, in fact, it makes it very clear at the start of chapter 7. It says, now for the matters you wrote about. Okay? Super clear, right? They've written and they've got a bunch of questions that they've asked. Okay? And then the passage that we looked at today is the second one of those questions. So the first question was, you know, he's almost quoted them, is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? So he's talking about marriage and sexuality. And then the passage that we did, the unmarried. And then we get, if you went on, about food offered to idols. Okay? Like... I don't know whether you have this up here in, 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 in the country. You can tell me on that. But down in the city where I come from, we have a whole lot of halal meat. You got that around here, your place as well? Can we eat that stuff? Or can we not eat that stuff? Okay, so there you go. You can have a think about that when Bob comes back from leave or wherever he gets to uh, do that passage next time. Questions around spiritual gifts. Questions around offerings. What should we do about offerings? Well, first day of the week, bring your offerings. You did well. Well done. Good job, church. What about Apollos? So there's a whole bunch of questions that he's actually answering. And the context of all those other things, all the other good things that you're going to look at in the future bits of 1 Corinthians is, is about the answers to their questions. So that's about the book here. And so this passage, as I said, is about the unmarried. He's already talked about that. And, and I listened to Bob's message of the, on the previous passage. So if you haven't listened to it, I know you can because I did. So to get the the, uh, the context of what he was talking about. It was a good sermon, by the way. I wrote back to him and said, good sermon, bro. He's done well. That's good. So when we're talking about marriage, now I've already told you what are we that we need to talk about. We need to interpret Scripture in the light of Scripture. What does the Bible say in the big picture about marriage? So we've got to do a bit of work before we get to this passage, don't we, right? Okay, that's what I'm trying to lead you in, in today. So... When I ever I have a young couple who comes to me, I've got a young couple right now who's going to get married in uh, January, I start off with reading Genesis to them, give them a perspective about what God's view, God's intention, intentionality on marriage is. And we can start in Genesis chapter 1 about we're creating the image of God, male and female, uh, so we start off with that. And then in chapter 2, we read this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it's not good for the man to be alone. Now, the not good is really important because what, what, did, what happened in all of Genesis 1? What, what it was, how was creation described in Genesis 1? It was good. And then at the end of it all, when, when humanity was made, it was very good. And now, alas, we get to the, 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 the perspective in chapter 2, all of a sudden we have something that is not good. Okay? 
not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. By the way, I've got to give you a little aside there. I think, is that point at work? Look at that. Yeah, look at that. That word helper. Okay. Some people have looked at that word and think that's a, that's a sort of a subduing word and a, not a very nice thing for a woman to be called. It should just be called a helper. Do you know the only other person in the scripture who's called a helper, same Hebrew word, is God himself. Okay? They never think that that's any way of a put down. Never think that at all. Uh, so not good. And then so it goes on a little bit, etc. and stories about ribs, etc. And then we have the end of that passage, Genesis 2.24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And so you have, I reckon there in Genesis 2, 18 and 24, the core teaching, the core, the, 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 the starting point, the starting of discussion about marriage is Genesis 2. It's not 1 Corinthians 7, it's not Ephesians 5, it's not, it's not other bits. That's the starting place, right? Okay, that's the big picture because that's where we got God's created order into that space. And so there's, there's one, uh, uh, there's, and the key word there is, is oneness. So we, what do we learn? Male and female created in the image of God. Told you that. Loneliness has got not good. Marriage is blessed by God. The key word is oneness, one in heart, one in mind, one in soul, one in body. So when you saw my teenage son there, and so when I'm driving to footy training last year, and dad and he says to me, Dad, is it okay if I have a girlfriend? You know how kids ask you that stuff and you know, and gotta be ready for these things. I, where I started to answer that question was Genesis two. That's where I started to answer that question. I was actually pretty pleased by the way that he asked me. I thought that was pretty cool. He didn't just go ahead and do it without asking me. I'm not sure I asked my parents when Carolyn decided she wanted to date me. But anyway, that's another story. I'll come back to that. So I can start off by saying, well, mate, relationships is what God's made you for. And the ultimate goal of you dating someone is that you'll get to a place of wanting to marry them, and that's how what God's intended. So this, so my starting place is this is good. Now, let's sort of try to put some parameters around what God's intentions are in that. Walking along the Yarra River earlier this year with my daughter, now 13, and I said, so what do you want to talk about, uh, Mia? We can talk about uh, netball, we can talk about church, we can talk about boys, we can talk about... And she said, let's talk about boys. All right, okay. All right, let's talk about boys. What do I start talking about? Genesis 2. Genesis 2. Starting place about relationships. Back to the so I go to the creation principles there, and we've talked about that. So back to one Corinthians seven. Taking a while to get there, hasn't it? But I need to set all those parameters for you to have a look at that because if we don't we don't understand one Corinthians seven in isolation. One Corinthians seven is a part of the book, which is a part of the New Testament, which is part of the Bible. So we've got to sort of understand that, and particularly a, a challenging passage like this, because if we look at this passage. It it encourages us, as I heard before, stay as you are, verse 7, 26, sorry, Uh, 27, don't look for a wife. Widow, you'll be happier if you don't remarry. Practicality stuff, the single is freer to serve Jesus. Marriage, it seems, is a bit more like a a concession. It sounds like it's second best. But singleness is better and marriage is second best in this passage. And we sort of read that in verse 38. 
So then, he who marries, the virgin does right, but he who does not marry does what? Better. Really? Better. Wow. Okay, that's, that makes us, wow, what's that about? Because it sort of not, doesn't quite fit with the broader view of all that. Now, what did I say is the rules before? Okay. We've got to ask ourselves a question here in this passage. Is Paul anti-marriage? Now, some people, a lot of people think that Paul was single. There's no evidence that he had a wife. Some people think he may have already had a wife. Some people suggest that he couldn't have had the role in the Sanhedrin that he had without having a wife. So if he did have a wife, it doesn't seem like he has a wife anymore. And he sees the advantages, if you like, of singleness. So is Paul anti-marriage? And uh, our scripture rule, interpret scripture in the light of scripture? He wasn't like that in Ephesians. You read Ephesians 5, he just gives instruction about it. You know, he doesn't sort of give any of this sort of singleness stuff and the, and the preference in that way. In fact, he praised the marriage relationship. He said it was a, a picture of Christ in the church. And more than that, he actually pointed back to Genesis 2.24 in that. So what's this bit about then? We're asking ourselves the question. Because when I then read all that and think about that in the broader, broader picture, and, and of course ultimately, like if everybody was single and nobody got married in the church, church has got one generation really then, doesn't it? Yeah. So it sort of doesn't quite match the rest of Scripture in that way. So we've got to ask ourselves, why is that? And maybe is there a local reason or a time-specific reason? Is there something about what was going on in Corinth at that time that made Paul write in that particular way? Because he's writes a bit differently to Ephesus when, uh, when he writes to those guys. Or a time-specific situation? A little, couple of little clues that suggest to us that maybe there's something to this bit. In verse 26, he says, because of the present crisis, I think it's good for a man to stay as he is. What crisis? That's the question I'm asking of that. What, what, what's the crisis? And it says, not only is it a, there's a crisis, but it's a present crisis. It's a crisis that is for now. So it's like, because of the situation right now, now the challenge is we don't actually know what the present crisis is. I had a look at a bunch of commentaries this week and, and, you know, if you read four commentators, you'll get five opinions, you know. You'll get lots of different ideas about what the crisis might actually be. It wasn't a, a, a situation that, that, that was happening at that, that time. It seems like it was. It seems like that this is a, a situation for the Corinthians at that time. And the other thing he says in verse 29, he says, uh, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. Like what time is short? Is that like soon and very soon we are going to see the king? Sorry, I apologise for singing. I should never sing with a microphone. But I couldn't help but think of that. And, uh, and Max pointed out that that song was 1971. And Andre Crouch died in 2015. So he's gone to see the king now. Um, what did, I don't know, those of us who were around, I actually remember singing that song. I don't know whether I sang it in 1971, but a few years later, 
What did soon mean? Well, I wonder what Andre thought of was when soon, and, and he's probably quoted in some Bible. And what does it? What does soon mean? We're going to see the king. Like, is there again? We got this sort of whole time is short. What way is time short? And so there's some questions that 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 still get asked about this passage that would seem for us that it's not necessarily for all people for all time into that spot in, into this this time. So we've got to keep asking ourselves some questions. How much sure we can totally resolve it? Because when we read the rest of Scripture, we see some things that are different to, to the teaching it would seem in this passage. And again, we have in this passage, you have the whole thing back in the earlier part is well, Paul says, well, I think this, but God thinks that. And how do we relate all of that into our understanding of the inspiration of Scripture, which we certainly understand that the Scripture is inspired so the creation teaching says it's actually not good to be alone, even though what he says now. Psalm 68, there's a lovely verse in Psalm 68, verse 6, it says, God sets the lonely in families. God puts people in families. And God's put people in church families as well for, for that purpose as well. And that's a beautiful thing as well. So how do we sort of put all that together? How do we put all that together? A little bit similar to what uh, I guess what Bob said to you when he was on this uh, pa- the first part of the passage, I think about three weeks ago, I think from memory uh, of looking at the dates. I think there is something really important about being aware to trust God in the season that you're in. Do you find yourself single and wishing you were married? Some of you, there'll be some people I pre- I'll presume I don't know the situation. Uh, some people in that situation. What does it mean to trust God in that situation? What does it mean to trust God in a situation where your marriage hasn't quite worked out the way that you thought it was going to? It may have even broken up, or it might be just really drudgy. might not be going too well at all. It might be like, again, in this passage, I, again, I'm guessing there'll be some people in this situation, there'll be a widow or a widower. Sometimes that happens way earlier than you think it was going to happen. My mum became a widow at age 57, and she's been a widow by herself for the last 30 years. My dad died a bit younger. So what does it mean to trust God in the season that we're in. Unfortunately, I love the fact that the young lady over there had great confidence in me at 18, that I was going to trust Jesus with my life and get that right. I'm so glad that she had confidence in me. The rest of you were actually right, though. (laughs) I confess, even though I actually thought that God was saying no, I still went ahead and dated Carolyn for about eight weeks and probably not surprising, it didn't go very well. When you have a sense that God's saying no and you walk in disobedience, and it's not often that you have a real clear sense of no and a real clear sense of I'm actually, you know, like God's saying that thing and I'm going that way. You know, like not quite Jonah-ish, but, you know, not far off it in terms of disobedience. And the relationship didn't go well. And you know what? I just felt incredibly guilty. Not that I did anything wrong, really. You know, nothing, nothing that, you know, that, no great sin that had to be repented of or, or whatever, but I just knew I hadn't done the right thing. Maybe that is the great sin that I had to be repented of. You know what I felt like after that? I felt like God suspended me. I'm a, I, I'm, 
I'm into football, you know. And when you do the wrong thing, you get suspended. Right? Jaden Stevenson, Collingham player, did the wrong thing, gambled, not allowed to do that, got suspended for 10 weeks. Ooh, harsh. I felt God suspended me from relationships for a year. I was banned for a year. And I went, you know what I did? I actually did what 1 Corinthians 7 is. I pursued the Lord. I pursued God and I pursued serving him. That was a good thing. At the end of that year, well, no, I'm going to keep doing that for another year. I think I still need to do that for another year. And at the end of that year, I met my wife. And we lived happily ever after. Actually, that's a lie. We were going all right, but, you know, 30-something years down the track, 35 years ago, I met her, etc., and uh, we're going okay. And so trust God in the season that you're in. I wonder what that means for you today. I knew what it meant for me at 18. I didn't trust God in the season I was in, and it didn't go very well. I wonder what it means for you to trust God, and not just in the area of relationships, like in the season that you're in, being a Christ follower wherever you are. What does it mean for you to be a Christ follower in where you are right now? What does it mean for you to be a Christ follower in your workplace? What does it mean for you to be a Christ follower in your home? In, your, in the street that you live, in the property that you live, amongst the neighbours, whether they're sort of five metres away or five kilometres away. What does it mean to be God's person for you in your community, in this community, in your community? And however, whatever that means for you when I say your community, your church community, but also your broader community, what does it mean for you to trust God into that space? Paul was really keen that the Corinthians were trusting God into this space. Some of the preciseness, I think, of what he wanted to say to them is a bit lost for us now. Unfortunately, I don't think we have great clarity about why he was saying what he was saying. What were those sort of you know, time-specific things? What was the crisis? We don't really have a clear sense of what the crisis actually was. We don't really have a sense of what the, what the time was that was short. Some people will suggest that Paul would be completely surprised if the Jesus hasn't returned for 2,000 years. Um, but again, we're speculating because we don't know the mind of Paul into that. But because of those things, what he is wanting them always to do, if we go on to one Corinthians, a little bit further on in the book, I want to conclude with, with what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you've received on, which you've taken your stand, and by this gospel you are saved. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received I passed on for you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day. And he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve and then to more than five hundred gives the core of the gospel. He's wanting to point them to Jesus. And Paul would want to be pointing us to Jesus afresh today. That Christ actually is enough for us, that we can trust him, we are called to follow him in all the different seasons of our life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your incredible... Uh, provision for us. We thank you for the gift of this new day. We thank you for the sunrise this morning, for the for the beautiful day that we've already seen. But then equally, Lord, we want to thank you for the rain yesterday. It is a provision of yours for the, for the rhythms that you've put into creation, how creation actually works. 
We thank you for, uh, for Jesus. We thank you for your hand that, that he has been given to us to save us from our sins. And thank you for the Holy Spirit that says we're not alone. We're never alone. We have in the presence. Thank you that you want to speak to us through your word. Thank you for your word that is alive and active, like a double-edged sword for us. Well, I pray for these dear saints that they will know what it is to follow you in all the seasons of their life, individually and corporately together. Oh, Lord, we lift this to you now and pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.